your American heritage now at our new starting time of 2 p.m. Yes, you don't have to look at your clock. It's definitely 2 p.m. on a Saturday. So once again, welcome. So uh, I am, of course, not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. And working the board and the phone lines is Derek Stone, who has a show called Stone Cold Sports. And it airs Sundays at noon 30, right after my friend Sean Todd, the Rock and Rev on the intersection at noon. You should listen because it's not your normal fluffy Christian show. The show is available by podcast. Tell your friends to listen. Please share it, okay? If you think there's value to this show, please share it with your friends. Facebook, however you want to do it. So, it's day 479 of the coup. The theft of the American government by enemies, both foreign and domestic. We are in the grasp of the Great Reset. Remember the slogan from Klaus Schwab, head of the World Economic Forum, of Davos fame. You will own nothing. And you will be happy. Yeah, you will be happy. How does that happen? How do you own nothing? Well, by devaluing your dollar and making it worth less. Or run those two words together, worthless. Print more money than you can support. Let me give you an analogy. Dollars used to be backed by gold. Now they're backed by <clears throat> the full faith and credit of the United States. Well, the full faith and credit of the United States is the ability to pay its debts based on what it expects to take in in taxes and fines. This is not an easily expandable resource. And how much of that resource is left? The government has printing presses to print money. What does it matter how much we print? A friend of mine asked me that the other day. He says, hey, we need to support these people in, in uh, Ukraine, you know, against Putin. I said, well, that's fine. He said, well, what's another $40 billion? Well, it's very important what another $40 million or billion dollars is, okay? If a dollar represented a stock share in America, $1, one share, and you printed more dollars, it's like issuing more stock shares in America, and that's called watering down the shares. The value of the shares decrease. When you go to buy something at a garage sale, that dollar's typically still a dollar. But when you go to a large corporation and say, <clears throat> I need to buy more steel to build more cars and I'll pay you with dollars, they will rightly say, those dollars are worth less than they were last week. The issuer, the government has watered those down. We're not stupid, so you'll have to give us more than that for that steel. So the automaker, the guy who's buying the steel has to charge more for the cars he builds to cover the increased cost and this applies to everything, food, diesel fuel, housing. Now, throw in a war in a foreign country, send them billions of dollars to defend themselves, money that could have been spent here on the border and the military, money that is legally obligated to be spent by the Constitution. Well, that's all right, we'll print more. We'll make the dollar worth less or worthless. Remember war bonds? This was where the government used to ask citizens to invest in defense by issuing bonds that you would buy and it could repay with interest. Now it doesn't bother. It will tax you more to meet the national debt. Your costs will go up. Your taxes will go up. Your usable income goes down. Pretty soon, 
you need help. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And what's it going to cost you? Obedience. You will, you will owe nothing. And you will be happy. That's the goal of this government. This whole spending money right and left on COVID, spending money right and left on Ukraine, this is not spending money right and left to do a good deed or to buy votes. This is spending money to run this country into the ground economically so that you will, as we said, be forced to turn to the government for help. All right? That's that's the whole point of this exercise is to crush Americans. So that's the goal of the government. A free people is one that can afford to be free. If you can't afford to be free, you will sell yourself into slavery. A great reset as defined by the World Economic Forum. We must fight this. We must resist. Remember, the colonies did not win their independence without a powerful ally. When France joined us because of the appeals of Ben Franklin and Tom Jefferson, we won the war. Well, we must appeal to a powerful ally to help us now. An appeal to heaven. I've seen people ask, how long will Americans tolerate this? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm not averse to taking up arms to defend my country. I've done it before. I'll do it again. I don't want to. We need to exhaust every other means of defense. There's a better way. This is spiritual warfare. Good versus evil. Psalm 144, one more time, says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness and my fortress and my high tower and my deliverer. My shield and the one in whom I take refuge. So, those fingers that are trained for war, clasp them together, bow your heads, and let's go to war. Father in heaven, Lord of armies, as described in the Bible, we come before you. We ask you to protect us from these oppressors. We ask you to come to our aid. We ask you to bring them to a place of repentance, a penitentiary, or both. We ask that you inform and motivate those who aren't informed or motivated to rise to the defense of our nation. That you would move across this land with a great awakening to help us as a country to be awake and not woke. Remember the statue in Detroit that says, from 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen. So, and remember, once again, as for these political prisoners, or oppressors rather, Psalm 109, when he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Do not take a namby-pamby approach to this fight in your Christianity. We had Doug Giles on here and he talked about his... Uh, his book, uh, Psalms of War, all right? There are Psalms of War, Psalms, prayers of imprecation, where you beg God to do battle for you, and that's what we need, all right? So we're going to get into current events and political activity, perhaps comments on the Chief Craig interview later in the show. We're going to get into 2,000 mules, election disintegrity, Ukraine, inflation, et cetera, and I'll expect calls then, but right now I'd like to introduce a friend of mine. Dave Wolf is a former helicopter pilot in the U.S. Army. He flew combat in Vietnam and Cold War in Europe. So not combat in Europe, but Cold War in Europe. And Dave took a disability from the Army, I believe, and came home to civilian life. Like another friend of mine, another Vietnam chopper pilot, Dave Reed, and don't confuse the two, maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. 
Dave Wolf came home and started a business, a, com a computer store. He then moved to Michigan and he was an eBay entrepreneur. Then he saw a need and an opportunity. Sometimes it's hard to stay home and do nothing. Dave started an electric bike business in Brighton, but not just any electric bike business, and he'll tell us more. Please welcome Dave Wolf. Hi, Dave. Hello, Ed. I agree with all your introduction. Praise God there are people that will stand up for what's right. Amen. So, um, let's see now. Uh, let's see. I wanted you to tell us a couple of cool NAM stories, but first, before we do that, how in heaven's name, you had a business, uh, an eBay business selling carburetors out of your basement, right? Yes, and uh, I needed to keep busy. And it's, it's not good to be bored and sitting around just spending all your time figuring out how to entertain yourself until another day. I wanted to do something useful. So I started uh, selling starter repair kits, um, um, USA made, high quality. And then I also imported carburetors from uh, China and uh, cable housings, etc., and sold over 5,500 items on there. So even if you're crippled up and can't go anywhere, if you're housebound, there are things you can do to stay active. It's important to stay active and physically active too, if you possibly can. Yeah, I brought up, I brought up, I believe you know Dave Reed. I think we've you've been introduced to him. And uh, I remember him, telling me a couple years ago, he says, this retirement is getting old. I need to get out and do something. And he tried to get a job. <laughs> There's a guy who had a helicopter uh, business for like 30 years of doing, a, of, you know, medevacs and the like. And, uh, you know, a businessman, he's going to the local oil change business saying, I'll change oil, anything just to keep me busy. And they wouldn't hire him because he was overqualified. And now he's actually delivering meals. He's doing the uh, Meals on Wheels deliveries in his hometown. Something to keep yourself going. I don't intend to retire for a while. So now how did you get into the electrical bicycle business? How did that happen? Well, I started with um, Love Inc. delivering furniture. And then people donated bicycles that needed repair. And so the bikes uh, go to needy people. Well, then that uh, kept growing and growing, and I discovered there was a huge need for bikes for transportation and for kids. And so um, it kept growing and growing. And then I started in my garage, and I had, uh, I went through over 100 bikes from my garage, and I'd fix them up, and, so, and uh, I was selling some, and then distributing them to the, uh, um, to, um, Second Chance and Love Inc. resale stores. But then uh, I needed to get set up for uh, a regular business so I could buy parts and have access to tech support. Um, so I needed to buy wholesale, etc. So uh, we started, we set up in a, in a storefront. Now we have 35 volunteers. And uh, a part of the reason why we got into electric bikes is because of disabled people needing transportation. So then uh, we were fortunate that um, a uh, manufacturer gave us a bunch of e-bikes to, to, uh, to uh, provide to people. And so uh, anyway, I, I have electronics background, so I'm very comfortable working on electric bikes. But we give away hundreds of bikes every year to uh, needy people. We uh, find the needy people are kind of hidden in the cracks out there. Uh, the, we depend on other nonprofits and government agencies 
to locate these people. They let us know who needs a bike, and then we have folks that will deliver bikes to them. What's the name of your business, and where's it located? Uh, well, Charity Bicycles, we're located in Brighton, right behind the Brighton Bowling Alley. And I can look out my window here and, and see the backside of the Brighton Bowling Alley uh, building. We're on Weber that runs right behind the bowling alley. And so um, we're open 10 to 5, Monday through Friday, and we do a lot of service work uh, on electrical and pedal bikes. Now, we have really, actually, we have some, uh, a number of retired, uh, very experienced uh, technicians who are into biking. And so we have business executives, doctors, etc., that like bikes, that's their hobby. And they like to come in and, and repair bikes. So we have some very qualified folks. So we have qualified, uh, we have very good service. We charge for some of our services uh, for, for the people who are well connected there. And uh, that helps pay the rent. But all the people here are volunteers. That sounds like a real good work, giving back to the community. I, I, I think it's uh, uh, outstanding. And so, once again, what kind of clientele do you see? Well, we see a number of ex-cons, and we see a number of needy people with uh, health problems, uh, people who can't afford a car. Uh, we give a lot of bikes to uh, Ann Arbor, Jackson, Flint, and Detroit. Uh, and uh, a lot of those go to people just plain needing transportation, can't afford a car, or can't get a license. Um, that's our uh, uh, where the uh, bikes that we give away go to. And uh, and then we well we have some very nice we do service work on carbon fiber and electric and, and a number of the high end bikes, and that helps pay the rent. Wow. So. Uh you talked about this one company giving you a bunch of bikes to start out with. How did that? How did that come about? Well, one of my volunteers is a uh, was a um, consultant to a manufacturer, and so when the uh, consultant had a bunch of bikes um, that they wanted to give to a charity, he made the contact for us, and uh, we went in, gave him our five hundred one c three qualifications, and. Next thing you know, they gave us 60 electric bikes without batteries. We had to buy the batteries, but um, that really helped put us in uh, in the black. And that, that was a good start in getting into the uh, uh, e-bike business. And then the other thing we do is we uh, we will work on bikes no matter where you buy it or how old it is. Now, a lot of places, if you didn't buy it from them, they won't work on it. Uh, we don't care where they buy it, and so we end up providing services for a lot of bikes that are bought online, and then um, they're having trouble finding somewhere to get it serviced. So right now I got a couple of bikes in uh, that pe people bought online. It's uh, uh, and then a number of the bikes, a lot of places that they won't work on a bike if it's over five years old. But the problem they have is you have to have pretty skilled technicians. Uh, if you're working on just about anything that comes in the door and you don't know who did what to it, and uh, you have to have somebody with a, quite a bit of talent to be able to handle that kind of clientele. Oh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to do stuff like, uh, man, I wanted a three-speed bike or a 10-speed bike. 
And my dad says, well, we can't afford it. So I end up going to a junk shop and buying a rear rear end from a, a scrambled up bicycle, put it, you know, with a three-speed hub and putting it in. And of course, then you got to put the Stingray seat on it and the, the ape hangers. And yeah, it's, it's an American thing to modify your bicycles. Absolutely. And in fact, my wife, Sherry, she has a bike from her childhood out in the, the shed that, uh, I cleaned up and rebuilt as best I could for, you know, new calipers and clean the spokes. And also it's a very nice looking bike and, and it's got to be 50 years old, you know? Yeah. Well, I enjoy working on bikes and I, I started working. I took my, when I was 10, I took my uh, bike apart, the, the Bendix brake. I just wanted to see what was inside. <laughs> <laughs> took it all apart yeah. and put it all back together and it worked. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that kind of whet my appetite with uh, looking into um, doing mechanical type work, and I've always been interested in working on machinery and all. So I've worked on cars, done engine swaps, tranny rebuilds, and and uh, it's always been handy. It was handy in the in the in the uh, in Vietnam because when I got to my unit, now all the vehicles in the motor pool were down. Well, I know I had them all running in no time at all, and that made me a hero and then uh, i could make hot water so <laughs> i knew how to fix <laughs> hot water heaters and all so after that they stopped sending me on the really nasty missions and, and we had some that was a um, i was flying in a chinook unit and my first mission there was back to ashaw this was a one month after hamburger hill and it was the rainy season and so we had to run re emergency resupplies to a fire base on the edge of, Ant of uh, Ashaw. And we had to hover back through the mountain paths uh, to get back there. And there were times I could only see out the chin bubble. But anyway, the mission order said, get through or don't come back. In other words, this was do or die. So we got through and dropped it back there. And then we, uh, flew back into the ash because we had another chopper behind us. Then we uh, we risked uh, anti-air radar guided anti-aircraft to get out of there because we couldn't get back through the way we came. So we climbed. I, I went to 30 knots and pulled full power on the Chinook and I was doing over 60 mile an hour vertical speed. Popped out on top, flew out over the ocean, came back down. And we came back in, but that was that was my, uh, my worst mission was my first one. After I, they found out I could make things work, why they they kept me in reserve. So, <laughs> so I think you once, you once told me that uh, because you were a teetotaler, you got a lot of the night missions or a lot of the stuff when nobody else was <laughs> still available to fly. Well, during the Tet Offensive, it was really bad, okay? And, and uh, the enemy owned the ground at night. And so if you went down at night, it was a pretty serious situation. And there weren't a lot of folks around to be able to rescue you. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't drink alcohol. The other guys would come in and get smashed after, <laughs> after flying in the daytime because they didn't want to go out at night. And so I was always sober. So after a while, I just said, look, this happens every day. Just put me on nights. So I ended up with like almost 500 hours of night combat time. And so I was out patrolling the rivers and looking for where the uh, rocket attacks were coming from south of Da Nang. 
there was a river that came down from the mountains and then they would set up their rockets and pounded the daylights out of us at Marble Mountain and at the Nang. So I'd be out there and one night uh, I had uh, the moon, I had a full moon and we were going up, we had a, a high, a light ship up above, which we hardly needed. And then I was low ship looking for uh, uh, boats and, and, and the enemy along the river. And uh, I, I told them, we keep doing this, they're gonna open up with a 50 caliber on us at night and uh, we'll be in deep trouble. Well, it happened. And uh, I saw where the rounds were coming from. So I went down below the treetops, swung around some trees and came up and within about uh, 30 yards pumped a rocket into the building and knocked them out. And actually there were two of them. So I went looking for the other one and they shut down. And uh, so uh, that was the only time they tried that. <laughs> that I was so quick, close, huh? I nearly shot myself down. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you told me about uh, a time where you were re resupplying, you were doing something on a mountainside, if I recall, and you were really, you know, weighted down. You were with a few other, other a few other ships. And uh, at some point you had to take off from the side of this mountain and your commander took control of your ship. He took your ship and started going forwards and you didn't think you were gonna clear a tree line Oh, okay. We were doing a medevac. We were flying a gunship, and uh, we landed to uh, pick up medevacs because we ex we expended our ammo, and they had some wounded, and so it wasn't all that far to the hospital. And uh, but somebody, uh, we were able to take uh, three passengers and, and be able to have enough power to get takeoff, and. Uh, uh, anyway, we, end, we ended up with more passengers who had some people panic and jumped on. They were wounded and they were in, in uh, uh, panic mode. And uh, uh, so anyway, uh, then we had machine gun fire impacting near us and it was tracking towards us. So we had to move because if we didn't move it, we, they were going to have us uh, in their sights. And so uh, we took off. And, uh, but we didn't have enough power to get airborne. And so we were um, uh, bleeding our RPM down and, and uh, trying to get some speed. We had to fly towards where the fire was coming from. And finally, we did something real risky and pulled power up and tried to gain some altitude so that we could maybe nose over and get into uh, what's called effective land tra translational lift. But while we were up, they fired a 106 uh, millimeter recoilless rifle under us. They must have just cleared us by inches. And uh, it impacted where the uh, machine gun fire was coming from. We were so close to the blast that we got the necessary lift we needed so we could nose it over and get into effective translational lift and we got out of there. We were very, God was certainly in there for that because I mean, we shouldn't have made it. Otherwise, we were going to crash into them. Wow. So was that the chopper behind you that did that? He fired underneath you? No, it was the troops on the ground. They had a, oh. 
106-millimeter recoilless rifle set up, and they saw what was going on, that we were struggling to get airborne, and so they decided they would suppress the uh, the fire from the machine guns, and so they okay. took a chance and fired under us, and uh, <laughs> by the time that happened, we were close and hit the uh, we hit the uh, the blast zone. Yep. Well, Dave, that's a great story, uh, folks. Come on back after the uh, after the messages. Join us again. Your American Heritage New Time, and uh, we'll talk some more with Dave Wolf of Charity Bicycles. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. We were warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. Absolutely true. We were made to be courageous. Welcome back to Your American Heritage, the second half on this Saturday afternoon. So joining me today is my friend Dave Wolf. Uh, I think he's kind of demonstrated his courage here. Uh, his exploits in, in Vietnam, as many, many patriots have. And um, we were talking about a couple of, uh, uh, like I said, exploits that he had flying a chopper duty. Once again, Dave started this charitable organization called Charity Bicycles in Brighton. And so they refurbish bicycles. They now you actually provide bicycles to some people in need. How do you how do you determine the whether somebody's, I hate to say, worthy of of a free bike or how's that work? Well we depend on the uh, agencies that we supply bikes through. So we are basically a bike supplier and then we supply bikes to the people that uh, are vetted by these other nonprofits. And then we work through like foster parent organizations, the school systems where teachers teachers will keep an eye out for needy people. Um, then the, uh, we, we've given a lot of bikes away through Love Inc. and Second Chance. And a lot of those go to ex-cons. Um, but uh, it would take a lot of time for us to interview all the people that we give bikes to ourselves. So all of that interviewing is done by other organizations for us. And then we take their word for it. You know, if they say so-and-so needs a bike, we load it up and we deliver one to them. Is there anything the listening audience can do to help your effort? Well, we, uh, we need bikes. Um, there is a huge need uh, out there that we're just uh, dropping the bucket because, uh, you know, by the time you go to Ann Arbor, Jackson, Flint, and Detroit, the need is far outstrips what we can provide. I want to be able to grow. Now, I, we can do uh, much more if I have more volunteers, uh, people who want to learn. Um, we will teach how to, do the, how to do the repairs, or maybe if they just want to deliver bikes for us. Um, there's all kinds of things people can volunteer for to help us out. Um, of course, money helps. <laughs> so uh, we uh, so the more resources we have, 
the more bikes are going to go out of here. And uh, we're, nobody here is making a profit. It's all voluntary. And um, actually, this is the most expensive job I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> we put a lot That's... of our own money into it, but it's very rewarding. When you give a bike to a kid who's never had a bike before and they just light up and they, they are so enthused. You know, now a lot of these kids that get bikes from us, they don't know where their next meal's coming from. Some of them, their families are living in a car. And, um, you know, so we work with a organization um, that distributes food on a regular basis. And we try and feed a lot of those people. And that's uh, through the Love, Inc. And then they're reaching out into Flint because of the need up there. But, um, you know, if people want to help, they can donate. And they got a bike in the garage that they're not using. It's just, don't let just get all dusty and dirty. Um, bring it into us. We, I don't care how good or bad a shape it's in. Well, yeah, I do care. But <clears throat> even if you think it's just junk, we can strip parts off of it. And then we will recycle the metals. And uh, we'll give the metals to... Um, people in need and they take it in and, and get some revenue from it so we make good on make good use of all of it all right well once again it's charity bicycles uh and you you've got a website right yes sir yep charitybicycles.com excellent all right so i want to change subjects here and i'm going to open up the phone phone lines for comments either if somebody has a question about uh you know dave and his organization or you know, uh, the war stories he was telling, or um, I, I I watched 2,000 Mules this week. A number of people did, and a number of people haven't. So if you're not familiar with 2,000 Mules, and, and what the heck does that mean, title mean? You know, it's like 40 acres and a mule? What kind of mule? It's a documentary by Dinesh D'Souza. Now, this is prima facie evidence of a stolen election. You know, and a stolen election means, of course, stolen government, stolen nation, stolen power, and as we're seeing, stolen resources. And this movie is not getting the exposure it deserves. I've talked to a number of people who have not even heard of it. And there is, in my mind, also a distribution problem. I'll be frank. I could not get to a movie theater the night it had a one-night theatrical release. Then I attempted to find it online. And they have a few and very few options. Buy the DVD for 25 bucks and wait for it. Pay $29 with a locals.com account and own it as long as you have that locals.com account. Or pay $50 for a Dinesh account and wait for and watch it for a year and any other Dinesh content. I chose the $50 option to support Dinesh. And because there is a third option, I'm going to tell you another option. I've been offered a bootleg copy of the movie. There's a lot of it going on online because people feel that stealing content from Dinesh is, eth is ethical and moral as long as it supports the cause because everybody needs to see this movie. Well, I'll tell you what, I think everybody needs to see this movie, but I suggest you obtain the movie legally and share it with friends and relatives after making them curious. Get some skin in the game, okay? If you're if you want to be part of the solution, don't be passing off pirated copies of this movie so that Dinesh and his uh, investors don't get an opportunity to do an, the next movie because people were stealing the movie right and left. Well, you know, like I said, get in the game. Bring people over to your house to watch it once you get an account. Go over to their house and call it up on their streaming device using your account. Get people to know it. My people and I, my wife and I did that with the Hillary movie. Uh, 
the Hillary movie about the Democratic Party he did a couple years ago, uh, Hillary's America in 2016. And we had family members who were unaware of what we were talking about, and they watched it. It was a very entertaining movie, and their jaws dropped, and they became politically active. This is called grassroots activism. So I don't know if you even know who Dinesh D'Souza is, an immigrant from India. He's produced a number of previous movies, and uh, he's been a target of the Obama administration, and I believe now the Biden administration, among others. And so familiarize yourself with it. In the movie, he talks about Dave, you've seen some of the trailers, right? Dave? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. I thought you'd seen some of... Well, so what happens is a mule is somebody who picks up ballots, number of ballots from a source, and then carries them like a mule to these uh, drop boxes that are supposed to have video surveillance cameras watching who's dropping there so for security purposes, right? And so what it turns out is, is that there are, uh, there is an organization that tracks cell phone GPS tracing. So basically this organization is watching, and it's not the NSA, it's commercial outfit. And they are watching where everybody's going with their phones who has location turned on. Sort of like a super G, uh, um, um, Google uh, Maps timeline of everybody going everywhere. And they can find one number and they can watch where it goes or find five numbers and watch where it goes. And what True the Vote with, uh, oh, Catherine, I forget her last name now already. But what she did was, uh, and Derek's about to tell me too, Engelbrecht. Thank you, Derek. Catherine Engelbrecht did was she uh, she hired for money. It costs money to do these things. She hired some of this data and did the collection of where people were going. And they narrowed it down to these same people were going to the same or other drop boxes. It wasn't just, you know, somebody's brother, mother, uncle dropping off their ballots for them because they were in, invalid. So this this led to their being able to watch these same people they were tracking the data for approach the drop boxes on the surveillance video at that time. So they have surveillance video and then they have electronic tracking showing that person who that person is with their face dropping off 10, 20, 30 belts and taking a picture of themselves doing it at three o'clock in the morning, which is when everybody drops off their votes and then going back to where they picked up the votes from and were paid to deliver them from as they went back and delivered more um, more votes, more ballots at drop boxes. I mean, this is there's enough going on here that there was enough to steal the election all by itself without even worrying about Dominion or uh, uh, votes delivered in the middle of the night at the... Uh, the center in Detroit, although these things happened too. There were so many fronts going on in this battle, this stolen election. We have our friend Joe from Wyandotte uh, cares to comment about this. Joe, go ahead. 
Yeah, first about your top of the show, you were talking about the Cloward and Piven strategy of creating more and more dependency, more and more spending, and bankrupting the nation, because people are too stupid to understand if the nation's bankrupt, it can't help anybody. Well, this is but true, but I, I believe it's it, not just a question of, well, let's see. yeah, I suppose along those lines, you could say it's Cloward and Piven. I just look at it as uh, more than that. It's just bankrupting the nation. You're right. Cloward and Piven fits into this. You're absolutely right. But yep. I, I think it's more along the uh, the uh, Davos uh, Great Reset of we just destroy this government's ability to govern, and then something else has to come up to take its place. Yeah, that's part and parcel. They're, they're the same thing. And as far as 2,000 mules, which I call 2,000 mules in one whale, because we all know Stacey Abrams' sham election organization was involved in it in uh, Georgia. Uh, but the problem is we've kind of given it up now. So now they'll instruct them to not have their cell phone with them when they're doing it <laughs> next time, and there will certainly be a next time. Well, I think this time is the time that we start prosecuting. I, I hope that happens in Georgia. I mean, this happened in Michigan. This happened in all the swing states. It happened in Pennsylvania. I, I, I ask you, get a copy of the movie... 2,000 mules, do it legally, be an example to your children, and share it with others. Bring it to their attention. I tell you, I'm kind of disappointed that it's not going, uh, that it's not getting any bump on Fox. That's a real problem. And I was listening to Dinesh talk about his interaction with the producer of, uh, of um, oh my goodness, I can't remember him. Tucker, Tucker Carlson. Carlson. Thank you. Yes. And uh, the problem he was having with that particular producer because they didn't want to run the whole 90-second trailer. Now, there's two sides of this story. They didn't want to run the whole 90-second trailer, but Dinesh says, if you don't run the beginning and the end and you just cut out the middle, it looks like you did all of the legwork and, you know, this is your expose. So there was there's some difference of opinion there, and I hope they come to a rapprochement, eh? Yeah, one last thing on 2,000 mules. Uh, oh, now I lost my train of thought, of course. <laughs> Welcome to my country. Uh, but, yeah. oh, I know what it was. I am very disappointed in many because when they were shown in theaters, those who got tickets early, all over social media you saw virtue signaling selfies at the showings. <laughs> uh, my question then to them is, have you seen every single one of Dinesh's documentaries? Every single one of them is important. Every, one, every single one of them, regardless of the title, is still relevant today. Or are they just their virtue signaling and trying to jump on a bandwagon now? You're right, everybody's got to see it. They've got to see his whole catalog. Exactly. There's a Trump card, which nobody got a chance to see because of COVID. And then the same with his commercial movie, Infidel, with uh, Cavazil, James Cavazil, the guy who played Christ in uh, Passion of the Christ. He's a great actor. He played in a number of movies, Madison, about being a speedboat racer. And 
This guy's just a great, he, there was a football coach movie he played also as a Catholic football coach. Guy's a great actor. And there was a movie called Infidel. And boy, it got ruined by COVID because nobody went to the movies at that time. Yeah, But I they're saw, available on streaming for just a couple bucks. I, I, yeah, I, mean, I did see get that familiar. one too. But my favorite Dinesh one still is uh, America Imagine the World Without Her. Again, that is one you've got to sit your kids down to watch. It covers yes. history and destroys the left-wing narrative. Just indeed imagine, had we not been here to turn back Nazism, where the world would be today. We are still a force for good, and we must be. And again, to the top of your show, uh, two chronicles also. Bend the knee and pray. And turn from your wicked ways. I shall hear and see from heaven and heal your lands. But that means turning from our wicked ways. That means you got to get up. You got to be active. You've got to do things, not just pray, but do things to turn our nation back towards God. Okay. Great, Joe. I appreciate that. I appreciate the biblical reference also. And I, I think we are turning this nation back. When this nation turns away from Roe v. Wade, that's a sign of repentance. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. I Thanks, love Joe. you, brother. Take Talk care. God bless. Appreciate it. Let's move on to Gary from Tucson, formerly of, is it Highland Park? I can't remember now. Where was Gary from before? It's been that long. It's been a year and a half. It's Hazel Park, right? Hazel Park, there you go. Yeah, boy, geez, I'm getting a hey, bit of Joeitis here. Ah, so hey, Gary, hey, I what's your comments? Hey, how you doing, Ed? Uh, hey, Dave, I want to commend you on your bicycle ministry because I remember when I was a boy, a bicycle was freedom. You could get miles away from your mom, and it was a beautiful thing. <laughs> um, Ed, now, two of the three people I offered the bootleg copy of 2,000 Mules turned me down outright. And I couldn't figure out how to send it to you. So my conscience is clear. And thank you for the education. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Didn't know it was you, but, you know, thanks for repenting on air. No problem. Yeah, no somebody problem. sent it to me, a link to me on Facebook just today. And, I, well, you know, people have been telling me they're going to send me a copy. And I just, man, it's just, I can understand if you just don't have the budget whatsoever. But. And I, I do think it might be overpriced, but I'm I'm not the guy that has to respond to investors and but, actually but it's, pay it's my own theft. wages and those people it's, who work for it's me. Just so plain theft. You, know. you don't even have to say anything other than that. But one thing too about uh, bringing the two thousand mules around, some of those guys were on bicycles. <laughs> Dave, you may be a contributor to the to mice <laughs> of America by supplying bicycles to mules. But, uh, you know, it's really serious, though, because they now have all the evidence they need in five battleground states that it was all rigged. It was all set up. This should be the number one story across the country right now, that it, this president is de jure. He is not holding his office in a legal manner. He is a usurper. He should be removed from office immediately, and all of the things he has done be reversed, which would, of course, be impossible. But this it has monumental consequences. Look at the State of the Union. Look what has happened under his watch. None of it should have happened. The State of the Union should be much better, much greater, make America greater and greater again. If Donald Trump had remained in office, our State of the Union would be 
well, I've said it already. So. Yes. And an, an example right. must, hey, thanks, Gary. I appreciate it. Very good to call. I appreciate it. Yeah, an example must be made. And and quite frankly, a lot of this is just flat out treasonous. It's just, it's just, um, treason's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to define. But one of the easiest ways of defining it is that you were you are working against the interests of the American government in the employ or towards the benefit of her adversaries. That's pretty much a textbook definition. And so when you are selling out America in the face of China and taking money from China to do it, yeah, that pretty much approach, approaches treason. You know, if you weren't selling out our interests, but you were, you know, our defense interests or you were just taking some money from China for little things, that's a, that's called a bribe. Okay, you know, that may not be an impeachable offense, but treason is an impeachable offense and it has a specific sentence. Dave, do you remember what the sentence is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, we've gone soft. We've gone soft on, on traitors. Yeah, I don't think we would, we would hang them today, but that's what we did in the past. Now, I want to tell you something. There is right now a baby food shortage in this country. Among other things, there are children, I'm being told, babies, that are going hungry because, well, moms can't remember how moms used to feed babies before baby formula came along. There's a, you know, I mean, there's a thing called breast milk. And I don't think the men can provide breast milk, the the, the birthing, birthing fathers or whatever you want to call them. In fact, you know, we didn't even have a baby formula shortage until men started having babies. But do you know that Biden, the administration is sending formula to the border? There's stacks, there's pictures of stacks of you know, baby formula for the immigrants coming across across the border illegally. And, the, the, you know, once again, working against the interests of the American people, putting these inv foreign invaders before us. But I thought this was really interesting. Well, for one, there's a couple of things interesting about this, and we're running out of time quickly. The plant that got shut down that made the majority of this material is a Michigan facility. And sources are saying that the real issue was some mothers who didn't clean their bottles properly. And so the kids got salmonella and they went back and thought they would blame it on the Abbott plant. And it turns out it wasn't them after all. Well, the new chief liar for the White House who took uh, Jen, um, redhead Jen's uh, job, who is Karine Jean-Pierre. She was asked about the baby food shortage. And I want you to hear this. This is an urgent issue that the FDA, as you all know, and the White House is working 24-7 to address. Right, who's yep. running point on the on the, the formula issue at the White House? You mentioned the White House is involved. I, I, at the White House, I don't I, I don't know. I can find out for you and get you a person who's running point, um, but I, I don't have a, a person in name. Now, I think Jen Psaki might have done a little bit better than that. She wouldn't have started out with the lie and then contradicted herself immediately saying, the White House is on this. Well, can you tell us what the White House is doing? Well, I really don't know. I mean, this is this is what's to be expected from this. Uh, basically, a pervert. She's a pervert in place. She's she's uh, affirmative action appointment to that position. And you know, I don't see a conflict in interest that her lover, her uh, uh, lesbian lover, works for CNN because everybody knows she's just lying for the White House anyhow. So what's the matter? You know, what's the difference there? So. 
there's that. There's um, oh, there's there's the diesel shortage. Now I don't know this, but I've been told that we're sending diesel to Ukraine to support them in their battle against Russia. Wouldn't surprise me. Except wait a minute. There's going to be a diesel shortage, and I'm told it's imminent in New England. A friend of mine was talking to drivers. He just thought, I'm going to get up and find out. So he went out to Pilot and Love and Flying J gas stations and was talking to truck drivers about it. And he calls me up and says, yeah, it's happening. They're really concerned about it. This is a real thing. And yet we're sending diesel fuel along with $40 billion to the Ukraine, and we're going to have shortages here. Farmers can't get um not just manure, they can get manure, but they can't get uh, fertilizer. They can't fuel their tractors. The cost of delivering food to stores is going up. It's not a good thing, folks. Not a good thing at all. And it's this administration, like our friend Gary said, this corrupt, um, there's a term for it, but basically they're, they're not supposed to be where they are. That administration, the Biden administration, the theft of the election has consequences. And the regime as the Swiss Army knife lets me know. Thank you, Derek. Appreciate it. So, folks, this has been your American Heritage at our new time slot. And joining me today has been Dave Wolf of Charity Bicycles. Check out charitybicycles.org. And with me also is Derek Stone, host of Stone Cold Sports on Sundays. So come back next week, new time, 2 p.m. Thanks for joining us. America, bless God. <laughs>